Hello, and welcome to episode number 149 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is Gloria Marie. We have a new series on the podcast this year where we talk to different romance readers from different places. Today's interview is with Gloria Marie, who is a Christian feminist romance fan. She's been reading since grade school, and she hasn't stopped. We talk about feminism, Christian scripture and history, which she knows a lot about, and romance reading. On a scale of one to bankruptcy, I'd say that this was probably a moderately expensive recommendation list. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of The Taming of the Billionaire, the brand new billionaire and bridesmaids novel from New York Times bestselling author Jessica Clare, on sale July 21st. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is, and you can find all of that information in the podcast entry as well. I have some information for you from Book Riot. They are hosting a reader convention November 7th and 8th, and you can find out more at Book Riot Live. If you enter discount code TRASHYBOOKS, you'll get $20 off full registration for new attendees. You can find all the information online at bookriotlive.com. And again, the coupon code is TRASHYBOOKS, all one word. And now, without any further delays, on with the podcast. I am Gloria Marie Amalfitano. Gloria Marie is all one word. There is only one capital letter, and that is at the beginning. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, and I have learned that, and I won't make that mistake again. I do not answer to Glow, Glor, Glory, Glorioski, Gloriana, Gloria Hallelujah, or Sick Gloria Transit Monday either, just for the record, nor Gloria in Excelsis Deo. I've been called all those things in my life, and I don't care for it. Thank you. Wow. How long have I been reading romance? Well, you know, can you learn to read in the United States and not read romance? I mean, it's in everything. I mean, it's in the Bobsy Twins, for crying out loud. Well, some people seem to think they've never read a romance, and I always beg to differ. So I think you and I are in agreement. I, it's in, I mean, I learned to read Dick and Jane. I mean, Dick and, I mean, see, oh, you know, there's Jane saying, oh, Dick, you know, do this. And, you know, it's Jane. <laughs> I mean, it's just there. I mean, it's I, sort of everywhere. It is. I mean, it's it's just you know in the the third grade reader when you stop to think about it. It's true. There's generally some form of romance in just about everything. I mean, the myth, the great Greek myths. I mean, there's Zeus, you know, flying around, you know, seducing women, or you know, Apollo wanting to get it on with. Daphne or whoever, yep. you know, I mean, it's, it, it pervades all of human culture. It's true. It's very true. And it's just, if you're only going to define romance to be uh, hot times and, you know, sexy, you know, descriptions of sex, then you've limited yourself. Because, I mean, romance is really basically the stuff of life. Yes. I mean, it's how we relate to each other as human beings. Definitely true. You know, it's, it's whether we're kind to total strangers. It's whether we reach out a helping hand to each other when we need it. It's just the stuff of life. It's, 
I mean, romance is really just about feelings. Absolutely true. So do you remember the first romances that you read? I you looked at it and said, oh, this is definitely a romance novel. I suppose it would have to have been Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre? Yeah, my mom gave me that for Christmas when I was 10, I think. Uh, it was one of her very favorite books, and she was still reading to me at bedtime. Yeah. And yeah. so she read that to me when I was 10. And from that, I moved on to, I guess, Jane Austen. I remember I was in sixth grade reading Mansfield Park and free reading period. And uh, Mrs. Pescadera came up to me during free reading period and said, are you sure you understand that? What? And I said, yeah, I, I, I could understand that. And she said, but that you're too young to understand that. Book. Oh, for heaven's sake. And, and I said, what do you mean? And she took it away from me. And she said, what does the word disapprobation mean? And I said, well, may I see the sentence? And so she gave it back to me and she pointed it out. And I said, well, and I looked at the sentence and I read it and I said, well, that means disapproval. And she handed the book back to me and walked away and never said anything to me ever again about what I read. But I, you know, I, I, the other kids weren't reading Jane Austen in, in sixth grade, so, but I don't know what the big deal was, but um, what I don't know. What a strange other... thing to worry about that you might not understand all of the words that you're reading. Yeah, I, you know, Sister Padua oh, introduced me to the written word in first grade, and may she rest in peace, God bless her, that was the most wonderful thing anyone ever did for me, because, it, you know, it's been a nonstop love affair, me and the written word, and um, I uh, got a library card, I was allowed to get a library card when I was nine, so I guess that was like third grade, and wow. I was allowed, you know, and I just went through everything. I remember I had a traumatic incident in third grade. We had a free reading period. And uh, so I took Peter Pan and Wendy to school. And Sister Stella Maria um, had a hard time getting my attention. I was so lost in the story. <laughs> and, oh, it was, it was just so mortifying because she took the book away from me and then made me put it on the windowsill and I was I was terrified because the windows were open and we were on the third floor and oh I, no <laughs> it was a library book and oh horrors horrors the library book was going to fall out the window and be damaged and oh I was just so and and and, and she made me stand in the corner and I was ter terribly ashamed because it was the first time I had ever been published punished I mean in school but the whole time I was standing in the corner, I was more worried about the book falling out the window than I was about you know, the shame standing in the corner in front of my classmates. But, um, but by the time, I don't know, I was in seventh or eighth grade, I had read everything in the children's section, uh, both the fiction and the nonfiction rooms. So mom was um, letting me check books out, was checking books out for me out of the adult section. And she never... Um, censored anything. So I was reading Mary Stewart and Emily Waring. I would just read and read and read. So of the romances that you read now, what are some of your favorite authors and books? Oh, that is a kitty. Hello, kitty. Yeah, that's Pip. Um, cat, cat butt. Hello, cat butt. <laughs> I know. They, they love to stick their butts 
Well, I love Laura Kinsale. What are, what are some of your favorites of hers? If someone had never read Laura Kinsale, who would you recommend first? Well, you know, it's really funny. The, very, the first one I read was probably, was Seize the, what was that? Seize the Fire, I think. And it's a ridiculous little thing where, you know, the most, honestly, the, the, the what's his name? Sherry. Sheridan. Sheridan and, and Olympia have the most, I mean, they just go tramping all over the world having <laughs> the most ridiculous series of, of events happen to them, you know, unplausible, implausible things. But it's really a, uh, it really grabbed me. I just, I mean, he was so wounded and she was so sweet and naive, but had such a sense of herself. And, and she was so dedicated to bringing revolution to her country when she had no idea what that meant. Nope. But she nope. just wanted to bring such good to her people. And that I just I had to read everything Laura Kinsale wrote. And then, of course, eventually I got to what had to be the best book Laura Kinsale ever wrote, Flowers from the Storm. With with the Duke of Gervaux and having had a stroke. Oh yeah, and no one in his Regency England having any idea what a stroke was or how to yep. treat it. And and our little Quaker woman there, I forgot her name. Maddie Archimedia. Yes, you know there he is, brilliant in mathematics. Yep, and her father. So completely non-judgmental and blind yep. and brilliant in mathematics. I yep. mean, and that fascinated me, too, because I'm so completely math impaired <laughs> and how anybody can do all that. And um, uh, Gervaux is so, you know, terrified and lost. His mind is completely intact. He knows something horrible has happened to him, and yet he has such a sense of dignity through through it all, once once Maddie begins to realize that there's a man in there. Yep, and that she uh, can reach him, and not no one else can. I mean, nobody does the wounded hero better than Laura Kinsale, and oh I, no, and I think that is probably my most favorite kind of romance hero is is the wounded hero, but not uh, sort of not these military wounded hero because I'm I don't like military. But you like the emotionally distant, guarded hero who is trying to hold himself back from having to deal with the heroine at all. No, not, no. Because that guy's kind of a jerk. <laughs> now, you've said a few times when we've corresponded and when you've left yes. comments on the site that you are a furious feminist and that you find romance reading to be very feminist and female positive. And yes. there are a lot of people who think that romance is not very feminist. And I'm curious why you find it so. Uh, I, yeah, I got into a lot of trouble um, over the Fifty Shades books with Christian uh, sites on, on Facebook. Because I kind of defended um, Anastasia Steele's right to choose her relationship with Christian Grey. And the feminists were just all over me 
saying, oh my gosh, no, that's, she couldn't possibly choose that. And I'm saying, well, first of all, you know, if you would read the books, right? any, you would notice that any of the, you know, the BDSM stuff kind of disappears pretty darn quickly. It really is not a factor in the book. And I mean, they may have a point that the BDSM lifestyle may not be consistent with feminism and may be at its core abusive of women. I, I don't know because I, I don't really read that kind of literature because I just find that that crosses a line for me. I, um, I don't think that it is anti-feminist to participate in BDSM, mostly because if you're doing it in a way where everyone is informed about what it is that they're doing, it begins and ends with the person who is the submissive, male or female, giving consent. Nothing happens until they say, okay, these are my limits, and I agree, and now we can begin, and, and they can also end it if something goes wrong or when they reach the end of their scene. It's still a willing choice. And my problem with Fifty Shades and the portrayal of BDSM is how unsafe it was for, for Anna that all of the information about what it was that he was allegedly going to do was coming from him and only him. And he wouldn't let her get information elsewhere. And I found that really bothersome. But I don't think BDSM is inherently unfeminist. Well, I can see why yeah. people would get upset with your talking about Fifty Shades on uh, Christian Facebook groups, though. There's a lot to say there. Oh, yeah, lot, lots, lots to say there. Yeah. Well, they, their, their point, their point was the, the point they were making was that these were BDSM books, and BDSM is inherently abusive to women. And the point I was trying to make to them was that these are not BDSM books, and because the BDSM disappears in those books. I mean, it is really not about BDSM. And they could not get past the fact that Christian is, you know, a dom. And they know that much about him. And they wouldn't just, they wouldn't even read the book. So, you know, it, it, it was, um, I'm trying to think of an analogy because it was, it was just really quite frustrating because it was, to me, it was like people, you know, all my life, you know, because I'm a Christian, I've had people tell me that uh, people like to tell me they're not Christians because someone who has never read the Bible has told them what's in the Bible. And that person was told what's in the Bible by someone else who's never read the Bible. And usually, you know, they're told erroneous stuff. And so I would say to these people who'd never read Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, haven't you ever been told by someone who's never read the Bible about something that's in the Bible, but it's not there, you know? Like, people want to believe that cleanliness is next to godliness comes from the Bible, you know? Or um, what's that great line uh, from Hamlet? To thine own self be true. That's not from the Bible either. You know, there's all kinds of lines from Shakespeare that people think are in the Bible and are, get attributed to the Bible. And I, you know, and I said, it's the same thing. You know, if you're going to read, if you're going to attribute something to Fifty Shades, you ought to at least read it. But they, you know, anyway, so they would kick me off their Facebook groups. Big deal. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. What are some romances that you might consider extremely feminist? Jane Eyre. How so? I mean, well, I agree I'm, with you, but I'm curious. How do you think? 
Well, you know, let's look at, I mean, first of all, Jane has an incredible sense of self, who she is, what she will and will not do. You know, no matter how much he loves Rochester, she's not going to live with him as his mistress. Mm -hmm. Oh, he wants, you know, when she finds out about poor mad Bertha Mason, she's, and, and Rochester then wants her to live with him as his mistress. She refuses to do it and runs away. You know, Sinjin wants her to go to marry him and go off to India, even though, you know, that would kill her. She, and then she says she'll go to India with him but she, and work with him as a missionary, but she refuses to marry him because she doesn't love him. You know, she only loves Rochester. And all through the book, I mean, no matter what happens to her, she will not compromise her values. You know, she will not do anything that will change her or be untrue to herself. And, you know, I really think that women so often will sell themselves short for reasons, you know, whatever reasons. And instead of just saying, this is who I am, this is what I want, this is what I will or will not do. And you never see Jane, you know, doing that. She, she just makes up her mind, this is who I am. I mean, a horrible childhood, that dreadful school. I mean, Lowood is so horrible. And, and somehow, you know, she just has this deep sense of self, of true, deep Christian faith. And she is faithful to all of that. that I think that's just wonderful. And then you see that in, um, well, in Laura Kinzale's books. Yeah, I have some other ones here. Where are my notes here? Oh, notes. Excellent. I think it's interesting that you see um, feminism and being Christian as two things that go well together. I often see them pushed on opposite sides in different arguments, which I find well, very strange. I, I find that very strange, too, because although now this is funny because in my reviews on Amazon and Goodread, one of the things I am I hate to see is anachronisms in historical fiction and yet here I'm going to use one <laughs> go ahead it's your interview you can do whatever you want feminism is a thread throughout all of Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures we have prophets women prophets in Genesis we have we have Deborah was a judge in Israel in the book of Judges Miriam the sister of Moses was a prophet in Exodus, in Exodus. Hannah was in Samuel was a prophetess. We have that wonderful woman in Proverbs 31 cited throughout all of history, you know, as, as, as exactly what a, a, a woman is supposed to be. I mean, it's the businesswoman for crying out loud. She's an entrepreneur. And then you get into the New Testament. Jesus has women as his disciples, they're completely co-equal with any guy disciple. And Paul is completely a feminist. You've got Dorcas and Tabitha in Acts running churches. Priscilla in Rome running a church. Junia in Romans is, is an apostle among the apostles. Mary Magdalene is an apostle to the apostles because she is the one who 
to whom Jesus appears for the first time after his resurrection and brings the message to the apostles of the of the resurrection in Galatians Paul writes that that there is now neither Jew nor Gentile male nor female slave or free all are equal in Christ Jesus he, he talks about how when women stand up to prophesy in church they must do so with their head cover now granted he also talks in Timothy about how women have to be silent in church but tell me how does a woman be silent in church while standing up to prophesy I mean you, those are two mutually exclusive things and and yet what you hear people talking about most of all in Paul is that women have to be silent in church so you're taking one verse about women being silent in church and making that be the the rule about women and overlooking all of the other verses in Paul about where he's talking about women having these incredible roles of leadership in churches so and also in the early Christian literature you can read about the leadership roles women had in church now as uh, the Christian church became more and more involved the Greeks as um, once Rome when once Rome destroyed Jerusalem and Israel and the and the Christian church spread through into Asia Minor and got more and more involved with the Greeks and the Christian church had that unfortunate introduction to Greek philosophy and Greek dualism where you know spirit good flesh is bad and women of course had a very secondary role in Greek culture then you see the influence of, of Greek philosophy upon the Christian church and then women's role in, in the church began to erode and you can see that too in I mean Mary Magdalene all of a sudden becomes uh, you know a prostitute when she never was and Mary um, the mother of Jesus becomes elevated to such an extent that she's not even a human being anymore so anyway that's kind of how I view sort of feminism and Christianity that makes a lot of sense thank you <laughs> I take it this is something you study a great deal well you know I've thought about it a lot over the years and I mean, I'm Episcopalian, so I'm absolutely delighted to be, you know, part of a, a, a denomination that, I mean, back in 1974, I mean, we just took the bull by the horns and ordained seven women in Philadelphia. And in um, Boston, we consecrated the first bishop, woman bishop, Barbara Harris. And we then um, consecrated the first gay bishop, Gene Robinson. And you know, we've consecrated a few more gay and lesbian bishops since then. And I just think, you know, we have signs all plastered all over the United States that say the Episcopal Church welcomes you. And when we say you, we mean every form of you that there is. So you mentioned that you have a few things that you love in romance and a few things that really make you grind your teeth. Do you want to share <laughs> some of those? Oh, I have a nice list. Oh, a list. Fabulous. One of my um, biggest beefs is when, I don't know if this is done by the author or the publisher, and I'd like to blame the publishing company. 
take a novel and instead of publishing it as a novel, they divide it up into three novellas and sell it as a series and, you know, get three times as much money for it. And of course, end each novella on a cliffhanger. Megan, so taking a novel and making it into a serial. Yeah, went for no good reason. And from that, also this newfangled thing of series for no good reason, except series. You know, like I was, uh, we were writing back and forth some of this, uh, you know, you, pu you published the, the bestseller list and one of them was under his kilt. And I made mm -hmm. a comment about that, about how I didn't understand how that book could be on the bestseller list because first of all, there was no kilt ever in the story and I objected to a book being called Under His Kilt when there's no kilt to get under. And all it was <laughs> was a series of sex, you know, sex scenes. And while they were, you know, moderately entertaining, that's all it really was, was sex with no plot. All of a sudden, you know, these two are hooking up for, you know, life when, why? Like, I'm reading, I'm reading a great one right now by... Oh, 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 which one? P.K. Christensen called Of Moths and Butterflies. And it's taking place in Victorian England. Mm -hmm. Here's this woman. She was born in India. She was orphaned at age nine. And she's sent from India to England, as they did when the kid was orphaned. She's supposed to live with her aunt, but for some reason her uncle fetches her. He raises her. Don't ever understand why the aunt didn't do it, because it's Victorian England, and of course it would be far more appropriate for the aunt to raise the, the, the girl child than, right. than the uncle. It's a, anyway, it's a, it's a wonderfully complex plot. It sounds it. But there's this, I mean, the story is being developed, and I can't wait to, you know, I was up way too late last night, turning the pages on my Kindle, wondering, how is this going to develop? What is going to happen next? Oh, other um, pet peeves. Yes. Publishing the first draft. I can't it when they published their first draft. How do you mean? Just yes, too many errors. Right. And also when um, the story is clearly not thought through. So plot errors and grammar errors and errors in sentences, those are things that cue you to the fact that this book is not as polished as you would like it to be. Well, yes. And also just, just when the plot is loose. Mm-hmm is not well developed. And then another thing that annoys me are boxed sets. Boxed sets annoy you. How come? Box sets, you know, of like not, the first book in a series by a bunch of different authors. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know, that just drives me nuts because I don't mind a box set by one author of the same series. Right. If it's a good series. Right. Like, you know, give me a box set of Outlander. That's terrific you know but That'd be that would be a very big box set but yeah, you don't you don't like a box set of a bunch of different authors and books no how come <laughs> it's untidy 
My, my very first job was a book page in the Princeton Public Library in Princeton, New Jersey, where I grew up. You know, and I, and I, file, I, I put the, the fiction books on the shelves alphabetically by author. Right. I have my books on my Kindle in collections by author. Right. And I can't take a boxed set and put it in a collection by author if there's a bunch of different authors in a box set. I understand. So that, that's why that annoys me. How do you find books to read? How do you figure out what you want to read next? Do you have a huge TBR? Do you have a never-ending supply of Kindle books that you're working through at this point? I'm a very poor person. And um, I was given a Kindle, which was a big delight to me. And then I discovered, you know, there's all these ways, you know, you can get free or 99-cent Kindle books. And at first I kind of went hog wild loading up my Kindle. <laughs> with all these free or 99 cent books. And then I discovered, I think this is how you and I actually very, our very first moment of contact was when I discovered just how disgusted I was so often with these free or these 99 cent books because so many of them were just awful, you know, and it, it was kind of like they were being put out there just, you know, just to get read. And then I had somehow come across your blog and the smart bitches and your whole group of people and discovering that when I, if I bought the books that you guys talked about that were on sale that you had previously reviewed, I was getting a better quality book. Yep. That happens a lot. So then I kind of stopped buying those books mm -hmm. and only bought the books that are reviewed that were for sale that you guys talk about for sale on your blog that you have previously reviewed. Right. Which isn't all of the ones on sale. We can't read all of them, but most of them, if we yeah. know it's good, we'll make it clear that we've reviewed it or put a link to the review. Right. And, or uh, if I am at all tempted by one, I still get those other lists. And if I'm, cause sometimes, um, a lot of times some of the classics of science fiction, which I adore, are on there. Like a, lately, a lot of Arthur C. Clarke has, has been um, for sale um, on, I think, bookgorilla.com or cookbooks. I love cookbooks. Oh, I love digital cookbooks, too. It's a problem. And, yeah, you know, and, and I love cookbooks, especially that, that, like, tell stories about the recipes and stuff. Oh, I love those, too. And um, so I still get all those lists. And if I'm at all tempted by one of those um, books, then I, I'll go to Goodreads and I'll look for two or three star reviews and, and look for those. And because I, I stay away from five star reviews because those readers have no sense of discrimination whatsoever. Well, it, it, there's, there's, you, there's a couple different kinds of five star reviews, I think. Well, yes, my you know? five star reviews are completely worth reading. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so are mine. <laughs> ever give them yeah Although it's a a vowel is a rare thing for me too I have to mention two books please you know, do three three books that I have given uh, four and five star reviews and um, one of them is a brand new author her name is Lindsay Forrest her very first book oh I found it Lindsay Forrest all who are lost it's a trilogy did you read all three 
uh, the, I have read the first two. The second one is All That Lies Broken. The third one is not yet published. This is a trilogy, not a series. Right. Um, it has an are, end, which you like. Yes. This is definitely a, a long, long story. Right. Brilliantly written. I don't want. I really. I don't want to get into spoilers because I. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But usually, I can't stand books about sisters because they're just like they cloy or they are witches at each other's throats. I'll tell you. I have read novels by authors who have been writing a lot longer than Lindsay Forrest, mm -hmm. who are nowhere near accomplished a storyteller as Lindsay Forrest is in her very first novel. All who are lost. You really like this book. Oh, it's it's marvelous. And all that lies broken, which is volume two in the trilogy. I honestly, I was I was up till three in the morning. Wow! After three in the morning, reading and reading that book, and then I got I turned to the last page, and it was the last page, and I screeched, and Pip and Colby just leaped off my lap, terrified. Because I was like, oh, my God, it's the last page. And I was so caught up in it. And now I have to wait for the next volume. Oh, that's hard. Yes, they're marvelous. And then I have to mention Patricia Burroughs, this crumbling pageant. Oh, I've heard a lot about this one. Oh, it's a marvelous, marvelous. It's set in the Regency period, kind of a Regency romance, paranormal parallel universe whoa thing. does it does it have a does it have a happy ending well it too is a trilogy ah there's more there is more so it's a magical england during the regency oh yes. that sounds tempting it's wonderful i have to also admit that uh, uh pooks which is patricia burroughs Nickname right. is a personal friend of mine. I've known her for like ten years. She's uh, has written a bunch of other romance novels. She's got one about a female gunslinger. It's really great. But this crumbling pageant is oh, it's the best thing she's ever written. Oh, you have to read that. Yes. Okay. And, and what's the third that you really wreck? Anne Brooke. Anne Brooke. A N N E. Mm -hmm. B R O. O-K-E. Hmm. She is a British author with a very small publishing company called Amber Quill. Oh, I know Amber Quill. Which book of hers do you recommend? Well, the very first one I read was called The Prayer Seeker. And That's second, from uh, two years ago. And the second one I read is called This Dangerous Man. Um, the Prayer Seeker I found completely compelling. It's about a man who, a 50-year-old man, who quits his job because he wants time to rediscover his prayer life. And he's in the Church of England, and he, he really spends a great deal of time trying to reconnect to his prayer life. And he only finally does that by reconnecting with the truth about himself, which is that he's gay. And it's a very powerful book. And then there's a book, then the second book I read from her called this dangerous man is about he's an artist right uh, he only works in black and white and pencil and the dream of his life is to have an exhibit of his of his drawings right 
he is a gay man and he has a um, a relationship. I think the guy's a stockbroker, very wonderful uh, man. But the thing is, the artist is a completely repellent human being. But I could not put the book down. And she has also written a trilogy that sort of a cross between science fiction and fantasy. It's mm -hmm. kind of hard to... This is the same author? Yes. She does not write just merely one genre. Mm -hmm. um, she also has written a couple of really great children's books. Well, mm -hmm. One is called The Origami Nun. Oh. A, a little paper nun that this little girl carries around in her pocket. Ah. She also wrote a book called Dear God, It's All Gone Horribly Wrong, Prayers yes. for Stressed Out Christians. Yes. That's okay. That's lovely. Yeah. It's 30, it's 30 prayers. Yeah, she's an incredibly diverse author. Yeah, I should say. And, she, and she's got a lot of male, male romance. Well, you know, I also really love quirk Really? Romance. Yeah. First, I love paranormals. Uh, what's her name? Lawrenson. Oh, some, Shelley Lawrenson. Yeah, she's got some fun ones about shapeshifters in New York. Like, yep. There's one about a lion shapeshifter guy who does the Macarena in the streets of a suburban Long Island city. Yep. I, I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't you just love to see a lion doing the Macarena in Long Island somewhere? She writes such fun, over-the-top books. I love yeah. them. Yeah, I love that. And um, Judith Arnold wrote one called Changes about a jukebox and in fact I think there's a series about that jukebox which if I could just find them more cheaply I'd love to I'd love to read more about them I mean it, just imagine the jukebox determining who's going to be the love of your life that's, yep. that's so much fun and, and I like the quirkier paranormal I mean yeah, the other fun you know the wool shifter who finds you know his one true mate I mean that's kind of fun uh, there were, I just read one about I mean get this the the SWAT team in Dallas are all wolf shapeshifters. I mean, who knew? Well, of da course they are. In Dallas, of all places. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Gloria Marie for taking the time to hang out with me and talk about books. I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was a bit outside what we usually talk about, but I was pretty fascinated by how much she knew about women in Christian scriptural history, because I did not know any of that. This podcast was brought to you by Intermix, publisher of The Taming of the Billionaire, a brand new billionaire and bridesmaids novel from the New York Times bestselling author, Jessica Clare. You can download that book on July 21st. Our music is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies, and this is their brand new album, Black House. This track is called The Chatham Lassies. I know a bunch of you have purchased this album, and I'm really curious how you like it. You can find the album online at Amazon or iTunes if you're curious, and we'll have links in the podcast entry, of course. And if you would like to tell me how you like it, or you would like to suggest a person you know to be interviewed, or you have an idea, or you want to have feedback, or you want to talk about something that's really on your mind, or about a book that really made you happy, we want to hear about all of that. Our email address is sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can email us anytime. We will be back next week with more people talking about romance novels, because that's what we do here. But in the meantime, on behalf of my dog, Zeb, who is barking at air, I assume your dogs also might bark at air. Thank you 
apparently no pets on the podcast is a thing that is not permitted to happen. On behalf of me and Zeb and Gloria Marie and Jane, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend. And perhaps there's a little Easter egg at the end of the music at the end of this episode. Maybe. is an arcane gnosis the secret of which has not been vouchsafed unto me <laughs>